0: Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew. My name is Chase. Today, we welcome back our pastor of preaching, Dr. Ryan Kelly, to help us discuss and try and think well about events unfolding in our country related to the death of George Floyd and the subsequent demonstrations that have been occurring all around our country. This is a heavy topic. This is a heated topic. And it's one that raises questions of justice and injustice, race, the rule of law, the use of authority, civil disobedience, all these issues that our culture is grappling with, and that we as Christians have got to try to wrap our minds around and understand, and understand specifically in light of God's word. So we're hoping to try and help you, Desert Springs Church, in that process. But first, let's start with some disclaimers. Number one, Myself, Chase, Ryan, we are we are not experts at any of this stuff. The law, race relations. You would both agree with that. Yeah, Definitely. Not experts. Number two, as this situation deals largely with issues of race and racial injustice, we need to acknowledge that we are three white dudes. Yeah. Correct. I agree. firm. Yes. yes. We are three white men. And number three, what we say here is each of our own opinions. We are not speaking collectively and uniformly for all of the elders and leaders of our church. But here's what we are. We are three Christian brothers, pastors, leaders, and we are grieving along with our people and our country. And we want to grow in our understanding of these complicated dynamics and to grow in sympathy and love. Amen. 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 All right. So, before we jump
1: in, let me try and just give a, a clear and impartial picture of the details of the event surrounding the death of George Floyd and then what has happened after that. Um, I've watched the videos, the surveillance footage. I have... Uh, done a lot of reading on this topic, Um, and and so here's what, as impartially as I can put it, I think this is what happened. So on May 25th in Minneapolis, uh, a 911 call was made from a Delhi employee that was accusing uh, George Floyd, a 46-year-old unarmed black man, of buying cigarettes at a store with a counterfeit $20 bill. Officers arrived on the scene, and they handcuffed Floyd, who did not appear to resist arrest, Um, It does appear that when they tried to put him in the back of the police car that he did begin to put up something of a struggle, but he was handcuffed and and placed in the backseat of the car. And then it was at this point that two more officers arrive, one of whom's name was Derek Chauvin, who is white. And when these other officers arrive, Chauvin pulls Floyd out of the backseat of the squad car. The officers all pin Floyd to the ground, face down while handcuffed, and Chauvin uses what is called a conscious neck restraint. So he pins Floyd to the ground with a knee to the back of his neck, which is technically allowed by the Minneapolis Police Department, but only against a suspect who is actively resisting arrest, it says in their policies. Now, at this point when you're watching the videos, this is where it just it gets really hard to watch. Um, Floyd is pinned to the ground, with the, the officer's knee on his neck, and he begins to tell the officers repeatedly. I think it's like 17 times he tells them that he cannot breathe. Mm. Uh, there are other bystanders who are filming and who are pleading with the police to stop and to check on Floyd's health, which the police do not do. Um, the police do apparently call in an ambulance because they're aware that Floyd is in need of emergency medical treatment, um, but... Chauvin never takes his knee off of Floyd's neck. So he has him restrained with his knee on his neck for nearly nine minutes. Uh, I think about six minutes into that, Floyd loses consciousness and Chauvin doesn't take his knee off. Um, And the paramedics arrive. Floyd is taken into an ambulance where he's uh, in a full cardiac arrest and then is pronounced dead at the hospital. Um, Two different autopsies have been performed and they both, though they differ, have concluded that Floyd's death was a homicide, so it was caused by uh, the actions of the officers involved, um, at least Chauvin. And the next day, May 26th, the police department fired all four officers. The police chief called for an FBI investigation. On Friday of that week, May 29th, Chauvin is arrested on charges of third degree murder and second degree manslaughter, which, as of recording, was upgraded to second degree murder. Is that right? Yeah. Um, the other officers have also been charged and arrested. The day after Floyd died, the video footage, especially from the bystanders, was released on social media, and these sparked protests in Minneapolis. Uh, Those protests spread to other major cities across the country, um, not just demonstrating against uh, George Floyd's death, but I think building on other incidents of racial uh, disparity and specifically the death of black individuals by police officers, such as in Louisville, um, and then the Ahmaud Arbery case in in Georgia. In Minneapolis and in these other cities, some of these uh, demonstrations Have turned to large scale vandalizing and the looting of businesses and restaurants. The last I checked yesterday, I think there have been six fatalities, six deaths uh, as a result of these protests. Some of those deaths are police officers, some of those deaths are at the hands of police officers. I think it's also fair to say that the response to these protests has been mixed and how it's been treated by authorities in different cities. And as we're recording this, those protests have continued. Um, This is Really where we stand as a country, um, more protesting, more, mm. more demonstrations, some
0: uh, more violent than others, but that's, that's where we are. So Ryan, given all those specifics surrounding the killing of George Floyd and all that that has unearthed in our country and in, in our culture here, help us to start to assess uh, what happened. We'll talk about what we can't know in a minute, but what do we know for certain? happened here and
2: uh and what went wrong yeah in this case we have video we know what happened um we don't know what's in the mind of every individual um we can say manslaughter is wrong murder is wrong um police brutality is wrong Mm. we can also say and should say stealing is wrong Mm-hmm. Looting and rioting and violence, even under emotional duress, is wrong. Uh, and we should also factor in that those who are doing the rioting, at least some are from out of state or perhaps uh, would identify with, yeah, extremists, anarchists, the revilers. Mm. <laughs> they, may not, they may not they may not be those who are peacefully protesting in the day. Who are showing up at night to cause violence? May not even be those that are affected
0: by this injustice,
2: but just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know whether or not um, there was a a racist motive behind uh, George Floyd's death, we can say racism is wrong, and racism is a problem and a historic problem in this country. That's right. So we we need to say that all those things are wrong. Uh, We need to distinguish between lawful protests, which our Constitution allows for, uh, and rioting, which it, it doesn't allow for. And more broadly, we can say, as Christians, we have all the theological categories that we need to understand what's going on, at least on a theological level, not a sociological level or a cultural level, but we understand that the heart is desperately wicked uh, we, we we believe in total depravity, not that everyone is as bad as they could be, but that sin has affected us in every part of our beings, and that goes for all of us. We know from the Bible that there's the inadequacy of human justice in this lifetime, and there's hope beyond this lifetime. We, we know that we're awaiting Christ's return for complete and final reckoning uh, and we also know from the Bible that that's not enough for us to just simply wait for Christ to return, but to pursue peace and justice and love now as best as we can. And the Bible also tells us to lament and shows us how to lament. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's not miss that. We don't know what to do. We know this is hard. We know this is sad. We know we should grieve. We should weep with those who weep. Uh, the Bible not only tells us to do it; it shows us how to do it, particularly through those wonderful lament psalms. Yeah,
1: Ryan, I think it is important to realize that multiple things can be true at once, and admitting that one thing is true does not cancel out another truth. So that we can we can say racism is wrong. We can say that police brutality and the, extra, the, the misuse of authority is wrong and we can also say that rioting is wrong and and those things don't yeah they they don't misrepresent the arguments that we're trying to make in those other those other realms even those things are true this is still an incredibly complex situation and i think a lot of the demonstrations the right demonstrations are just frustrations at the complexities of what's going on here and i think we're all overwhelmed with with so much that's going on beyond just this issue of the death of george floyd um so how do we deal with some of these more complex issues that are being discussed around this event issues of of racial injustice and issues of inequality in our country
0: yeah real quick you you referenced this isn't just a response to george floyd this is this is a response to decades, centuries of this kind of injustice that people are feeling and sensing yeah uh, yeah, we don't want it we don't want it to come across like. This all exploded because of George Floyd, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've referenced other cases, yep. but this isn't this isn't a new thing. Yeah, this isn't uh, just fresh mm-hmm. on everybody's uh, hearts and minds. Yeah. This is this is coming from from some deep
2: deep roots. Yeah, African Americans are two and a half times more likely than whites to die at the hands of police officers mm. per capita. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. So Ryan, how how do we deal
1: with the complexities i think one big question that comes up a lot is the uh the existence of systemic racism mm. help us
2: understand that yeah well here we say again that we're not experts on any of this but i think systemic racism is a reality um identifying when that's reality is not always easy mm. the solution is even harder there's there's no simple fix um You know, some of us who don't work on cars, when our cars don't work, we open the hood and we look at the engine, hoping that there'll be this wire or cable just sitting there saying, plug me back in, and then boom. Of course, it never works that way. Our cars are more complicated than that, and this issue is far more complicated than our broken cars. So there's no one simple fix. It's not merely education. It's not merely better policing. It's not merely you name it. The list could go on and on. So that's part of the complexity of what uh, we're, we're dealing with here. Part of the issue is that, um, as we've kind of already implied, our culture and also the media seem to want to force us into one analysis of things or identifying one problem. We were talking about this earlier, and I said it, it's like they— uh, the media requires us to to use one monocle, uh, and, and never a, a real pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got the monocle from the left or the monocle from the right. And it seems like at times there's um, there's no parity. There's no not not enough complexity in the discussion.
1: Yeah, and this issue forces us into one of these two sides, and then we're almost afraid that we can't make a concession to say that something is true that the other side is claiming because we feel yeah. like if we acknowledge a truth coming from the other side then we're somehow betraying our own side or we're, we're giving this other side a leg up um, yeah, wins and losses Yeah, we, and we're, it's all zero sum and, and it's very competitive um, yeah. back on the, the issue of systemic racism I think uh, another complexity in this idea is really the historical reality of mm-hmm. Our country and the events of um, the last 400 years, you know, through the existence of our country, I don't think anybody would disagree that that slavery, uh, the the forceful importation of black individuals to work as uh, as slaves in our own country, that that was right. No one would say that that was right. That was entirely wrong. Um, and our country fought a war over that issue and has uh, been grappling with uh, with that issue. Um, and and then even after slavery was abolished, there was what I think, you know, the, the issue of systemic racism is is uh, controversial, but I don't think anyone would say that slavery was not systemic racism. Mm-hmm. That was a system that was racist. Or Jim Crow laws. And then the Jim, Crow's that, Jim Crow laws that followed the abolition of slavery, that was also racism... That was enshrined in law, which is what we mean when we say systemic racism. That was uh, that was a legal structure, an institution that existed to uh, empower a certain group based on their ethnicity and keep another group based on their ethnicity uh, at a disadvantage. And there was a whole movement to try and redress that issue. And so um, then we we say, okay, well, are there lingering effects of those policies, even redlining is another good example that created certain neighborhoods in cities that mm-hmm. were only where certain ethnicities could live. Um, all of those have had, I think, lingering effects on our society that may even influence the the presence of law enforcement in certain neighborhoods and not in other neighborhoods that may um, in, increase uh, the level of crime in certain neighborhoods and not mm-hmm. in other neighborhoods because of relationships to poverty and education and all these things. And so you can see where it gets incredibly complicated. So um, you may disagree on, is there is there a law right now on the books that's racist? You may look around and, and try and find that. Um, I think certainly if we see that, we would say, that's wrong and that needs to be, taken away. Um, and that's where the issue of systemic racism get, racism gets complicated is like you're saying, trying to identify it when it's at work now, but it's much more complicated because of the the historic factors in our country. That's the question, you know um, is there is there a certain law that you can point to right now that's
0: yeah, but some people some people would argue that 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 systemic racism was back then and was abolished in the civil rights movement and those things just don't exist anymore, right? right? Because we don't have the segregation laws and things like that. So, yeah. um, so they would say that, the, that those things don't exist, that right. systemic racism is the boogeyman. Um, and so I think, I think in part, if you're in that category, you have to ask yourself, um, why do you believe that? Do you believe that simply because you've never experienced systemic racism? You've never experienced that level of oppression or injustice? Um, so we have to be suspicious of ourselves and our own experiences, defining our worldview, yeah? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's right. I think uh, another good example that I've heard of this is um, people that have just grown up in neighborhoods with good schools, don't think that there's an education problem in our country because right. they don't send their kids to schools that are, that are not good schools. They're not interacting with schools that are bad schools. And so, because they have this very narrow experience, they think that that
2: applies to everyone and we compared notes earlier that we all grew up in uh homes and cities where we were told the police were always good always helpful and perhaps they made you a little nervous if you were speeding but otherwise they were the people you went to for help Mm -hmm. and then you 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 know as you get older um, you might begin to um, become friends with someone who is of color and had a very different experience yeah Um, Perhaps they were told by mom and grandma and father, you know, the police are trouble. Um, I'll just tell my story uh, regarding race. I grew up outside of Detroit in a little suburb that was almost completely white. Our high school was completely white. Uh, It was known that if you were a teenager, an African-American driving through our little city, um, you would likely get beat up. And then when I was 14, uh, I began a job, a summer job, working at a car dealership in the the wash rack, they called it, you know, cleaning cars um, for uh, those who've bought them. And uh, and I worked with four or five African-American adult men who basically had the same job I had, which was a little more than minimum wage, Um, inner city guys, uh, got to know them. I would call them my friends. And, uh, and I was surprised to hear their experience, their stories, and it was really helped by that. Um, you know, there's a fear of being out a certain time of the day, doing nothing wrong, uh, and being pulled over. And I just had never experienced that. And I think there's a bigger point, Ryan, to what you said, that
1: we are all fallen. And so each of us has certainly the propensity for prejudice, certainly has the propensity for acting selfishly and in self-interest. Um, and then when you take the, the the idea of what an institution is, well, it's just an organization of a bunch of sinful people. And so you could see how uh, an organization, a structure of fallen people can also be fallen. And so we do have to recognize that uh, that some of the structures and institutions that we live within could certainly have prejudices could certainly have self- interests could certainly be preserving the rights of a certain group at the expense of another group that's a that's
2: got to be at least be a, a possibility as we are looking at things as Christians yeah and to add to the complexity um, you know it can be cyclical it builds upon one another in the in this sense if a, a police community assumes that a neighborhood is corrupt from top to bottom, and that neighborhood assumes that the police are corrupt from top to bottom. Mm. Then there's a new problem. Mm. There's distrust, and then that grows. It builds upon one another. I think it's a point made really well and shown really well in David Kennedy's book. It's called Don't Shoot. Um, you know, for, for someone like me growing up in white suburbia, uh, a book like that was really helpful in just hearing stories and hearing complexity uh, of what's going on in police community relations. yeah, yeah, I think that's important to be aware of the
0: voices that we that we listen to the most. Um, it makes me think of our social media feeds and the voices right. that we allow into our hearts and minds the most. And is your feed just f- filled up with everybody who watches the same news channel as you and reads the same books as you and thinks the same way that you do? Is it just an echo chamber of your own cultural and racial perspectives? Um, I, would, I would advise against that. I would advise to, to listen to other voices, to listen to those that would have uh, a different story uh, concerning race. And also ask yourself, uh, what do you get outraged about? Uh, what makes you the most angry, particularly lately, if you are more upset about rioting and looting than you are of the loss of life? Or do we, do we only get upset um, about abortion? but not about uh, racial injustice. So there's, there's just certain times where we need to ask ourselves these questions and then ask ourselves, uh, what are our social media feeds doing to feed those uh, those worldviews? Um, I find that helpful, and I find it helpful to have people on my social media
2: feed that don't always think the same way I do, and that challenges me. Yeah, and you can also think in terms of what am I contributing to that social media feed in others' In their in yeah, their accounts, absolutely. Uh, meaning, maybe we would lament uh, the the death of George Floyd, but never put that on social media. But then, when the rioting and looting begins, I do four or five posts on that, uh, even if it isn't true. I I've communicated a myopic view of things. That's right. I'm easily misunderstood, uh, perhaps at best. You're contributing to the overall storyline social media
0: is media we like to blame big media but social media has the word media in it so we're contributing to the story yeah whether we do it passively or actively in one way or the other happens from both sides we have to guard ourselves and we have to yes consider others and love others and consider others more important than ourselves when when we post uh, to social media and what we consume from it. And I think one of the problems with
1: social media is that, uh, Ryan, to your point, it's just, it's necessarily reductionistic. You cannot be nuanced in a social media post. Well, you
0: can't have a nuanced argument on Twitter? This
1: is why I got off social media, <laughs> because it's, uh, there's just so much about communicating in such a brief way that leads to misunderstanding. And I think this is where we especially need to be really careful about Uh, about slogans on social media about rallying behind one very small hashtag Mm. and then importing a lot of meaning into just a few words and then fighting over those words when we're really fighting about a very very complicated argument and so i think a lot of people in this discussion get in trouble because uh because they're they're saying something in three or four words that really needs to be a conversation over a cup of
2: coffee you know And That's to get specific, Black Lives Matter, what does that mean? Whiteness, what does that mean? Um Exactly. When you when racialized. you racialized.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when you say the word racism, when you say the word white supremacy, when you say black lives matter, when you say all lives matter, you're not just saying those words. You're bringing a lot of definitions into those words, but somebody else may be using very different definitions of those words. They may hear you say all lives matter and think you're saying something that you're not meaning, but because you've reduced your whole argument to a slogan, we're just getting madder at each other because we're not actually talking and we're not actually listening.
0: Yeah, that's really good. So we've seen how our culture at large has responded to these issues, both on social media and in real life. Um, and it's it's happened on both sides of the aisle, the political aisle. Uh, this would be a question for all of us, but Ryan, you, you can get us started. How should Christians respond? Can Christians, uh, is it right and good and ever morally uh, appropriate for Christians to protest? Um, how can we respond as Christians um, we would all agree the Bible is not silent silent on these things. So how can we respond?
2: Yeah, on the issue of protest, I think Christians can protest. Our country was born out of protest in some ways. Um, the New Covenant in some ways was born out of a kind of protest. Jesus, um, I think, at times protested parts of Rome and protested parts of the Jewish leadership in his day. Protest can be um, loving neighbor. We made a distinction earlier between riots in protests, and here's where riots aren't love of neighbor, but protests certainly can be. It can be love of God, pursuit of justice, the pursuit of peace, um, and love of neighbor. So I think, yeah, that that's something um, that— and we're
0: Protestants.
2: <laughs> we're Protestants. We pro- protested
1: Rome uh, a few hundred years ago. And that's let's right. just say, too, how grateful we should be to be in a country that has protected protesting— that protesting is a means of holding our authorities accountable and, and m- ensuring that the sword that God has given to these authorities is exercised rightly. Not other people in other countries have that right. You know, they don't, they don't get to argue with the authorities. We do. That's really a gift. And so we should see people protesting and say, God bless America you know, thank you for this freedom that we have that not other people in the world get to experience. Amen. Yeah.
2: So, if we're not comfortable protesting, what are some other ways we can respond? Yeah, and we want to make sure that that's a well-rounded answer, because um, protest isn't the only answer, even for those who do want to protest. Um, weeping with those who weep, um, we have that biblical category Um there's a forthcoming book. It should be out in the middle of the summer. I've got an a early copy of it, but Mark Vrogop's book called "Weep with Me," and the subtitle I might get wrong, but it's something like "How Lament Helps with Racial Reconciliation." Mm. Uh, I've been really enjoying that book and I'm eager for it to get out in print so others can benefit from it. So, lamenting and corporate lamenting is a part of how we um, respond to this as as thoughtful Christians.
1: Weep with those that weep being a reference to, to Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Yeah,
2: Amen. exactly. And we, we have to think of how we respond to this in connection with the gospel. Um, we as Christians, we have something to offer the world um, that is unique, and we believe it is the answer. Um, so the gospel doesn't discriminate uh, with race. And the the gospel unites race and differences of other kind. Um, Galatians 3.28, there's now no Jew-Gentile uh, bond or free man, um, male or female. And so you think of Ephesians 2 and 3, where the blood of Christ is what unites Jew and Gentile, making them now one new man. Um, so there's hope in the gospel that transcends cultural change, educational reform, policy and policing, laws. yeah, all that, and so we have to we have to keep that firmly in mind um, and, and that doesn't mean that short of the gospel there's nothing that can be done um, right it, it, we're a church that identifies with the southern Baptist convention um, the the Baptist faith and message of two thousand has a wonderful paragraph on this I think it's um Article 15 on social order, Uh, I won't read that, but I have in front of me the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, which says, we are obliged to the performance of duties, public and private, as are conducive to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. So, there's a good paragraph on how the gospel, yes, is the ideal, and that's what we um, we want to have in our hand first and foremost, uh, but, but it's not merely evangelism that is our task. We do seek to do good to humanity um, and for the flourishing of humanity uh, to the glory of God in hopes even of their eventual conversion, but not not necessarily with only their conversion in mind. Yeah, I think of a couple
0: passages. Um, Ecclesiastes three: there's a time to speak, there's a, there's a time to refrain from speaking. Uh, so there's a, and James one to be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, that we should listen to those that have a closer uh, view to these injustices to our black brothers and sisters. We should listen. Mm-hmm. We should uh, ask good questions, um, and we should, like you said, sit. In silence and and mourn and weep and grieve uh, with those who grieve. Uh, we don't want to become like Job's miserable counselors, uh, where we speak uh, too quickly and, uh, and 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 make uh, wrong um, assessments of the situation. We definitely want to be careful, and we have uh, we have biblical grounds to do that.
2: I think listening is so important. Uh, in order to listen, you have to be near someone who's willing to tell you a story. Uh, So for some of us, the application of a moment like this might be, boy, why are all my friends so much like me? And that may not even just be about race. It could also, you know, your financial uh, status or uh, what part of the neighborhood you live in, what part of town you're in. Um, We would all benefit from a diversity of friends Um, And especially when it comes to race, because it is so effective, so influential, so broad sweeping in its applications and implications. And for those who would say that they, maybe they'd admit it, they don't have anyone in their life that they can talk to and listen to and hear stories from and learn from uh, who are of different ethnicity, Maybe what you need to do in the meantime, seek seek out those friendships, pursue them, maybe pray for them. But there are books on this. you you can You can read stories. You don't even you don't even need to be friends with uh, an African American or a Hispanic person, a person of color, in order to to get narrative and feeling and experience. Um, so I, I mentioned already David Kennedy's book. That would be one. There are many others. The works of George Yancey are all really good. He's a sociologist, I believe, University at the, of at, Texas? And my alma
1: mater, University of North Texas. North Texas,
2: okay. But, I mean, he's, he's just written a ton on this, and it's very helpful, and a lot of it is windows into um, cultures outside of our own.
1: And I think there's a distinction between life in the church and then the church in the world. Um, I think... We see these problems in the world. We do what we can to try and address them, to bring God's righteousness and justice to bear through the means that we have, even through political means and through protesting. Um, and so we want to work in that. But in the church, the, there should be no excuse at all uh, for, for – racism for partiality for division for disunity um and so even as i think about a world and i know i'm with with you guys just as we've looked at this stuff it's heartbreaking it's it's heavy it just kind of feels like the whole country the whole world is on fire right now and then we look again at the church and the church really can be that city on a hill it can be a place where black people and white people just love each other and they work through their differences their differences don't go away just because they've become Christians they're still black they're still white but this is the context where the blood of Jesus has taken down that dividing wall of hostility and we can love each other and we can be a community that stands out in the whole world where at least there, at least in the church these people get along these people love each other these people are working for the good of one another at their own expense and then that can transform the world
2: Right. Yeah, I think there's an interesting dynamic between restlessness on the one hand and patience on the other. So I think Martin Luther King was right that delayed justice at some point is no justice at all. So I understand and appreciate the restlessness and the expedience um, that some people are crying out for right now. Um, and, and, and not to say a yeah but, but, but there is a, another side to this that uh, it will take time. We do need to have patience. We should do the long-term things, along with whatever quick fixes we can make. We should do the long-term things of being the church, Hmm. of being this countercultural example of oneness and diversity, uh, holding that out to the world. That's right. I I think of Paul in Philippians one, where he tells them to shine like lights in a in a dark city. um, That. That others might come to to believe and be saved, and that's our hope. Um, so that that means okay, just keep doing what you've been doing and try to do it a little bit better the next day. Uh, be the church, uh, love each other, um, be accepting, um, be different, and and pursue uh, and celebrate diversity when God provides that in a local church.
0: Yeah, the the terms "how long" or "come, Lord Jesus" are laments. They also have eternal perspective uh, that, that support them. Um, uh, that's really good. I think of the fact that this problem can seem so big and so complex that it just paralyzes us mm. to never speak, to never act, to never do. What can we do? What can you do against such injustice? Um, I saw I saw a post that was really helpful. I can't remember who it was, but just had this idea that not all of us are going to be Martin Luther King Jr., not all of us are going to be Rosa Parks. We can be who we are, where we are, and affect what we can affect. If you're a boss, treat your employees with equity and justice. If you're a parent, t- treat your kids uh, with equity and justice and tra- raise them up to love all and see the image of God
2: in all uh, of his people. In prayers, uh, one of those that uh, we would say that that's not always a quick fix, it can be. Maybe the Lord would intervene. In a special way, because his people pray. Um, but even while we wait, however long we wait, maybe till the consummation, certainly till the consummation, before it is fully fixed. But until then, we pray. We just keep praying, and and we we don't think that it's doing nothing or it's it, it's on you know it's the other thing you do. But if you're really serious, you'll get active in politics or marching or whatever. Do those things. And pray. That's Christians good. need to pray. Yeah, we don't
0: have direct commands to to protest this specific thing or that specific thing, but we do have commands to to pray. Uh, I saw another thing that said, uh, uh, back to your point about being angry or being uh, just uh, this, this sense of unrest. Uh, again, I, I wish I could quote the person, could look it up, but they said that being angry all the time is corrosive, corrosive and unproductive but never being angry, specifically about injustice, never being angry is morally irresponsible. So I thought that was just a really helpful way of, of putting, putting anger in perspective of that idea of being angry and not sinning, of yeah. righteous indignation against sin. Like it, it, we have biblical categories for that. If we're, if we're always angry all the time, y- you're gonna erode into, into something ungodly. But if you're never angry, then you need to you need to ask yourself: Are you
2: paying attention? Yeah, you you alluded to Ephesians five: Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So even righteous indignation can turn towards bitterness, resentment, uh, sinful anger, um, and that, And I don't. I wouldn't say uh, necessarily we should take that literally. Like, uh, hey. Those who are really upset about the death of George Floyd, make sure you um, are no longer angry by bedtime tonight. Mm, right. No, it's not going away that fast. That's not what Ephesians five means, but it does mean even your righteous indignation needs to be handed over to the Lord in some regard, uh, so that it doesn't turn to sin
1: and certainly not to vengeance. You know, I think that's been that's been a disheartening thing about some of the rhetoric that I've seen lately is that some of these really violent acts have been have been treated with a, a tone of taking revenge. Uh, and that implies one that yes, a wrong was done that needs to be avenged. Yes. But then we remember that the Bible says, it's not for us to take vengeance. It is for the Lord to take vengeance. And this is something that we've been looking at in the Psalms that we've been studying, that God will come and he will judge with equity. And that is a hope that we have, that that these wrongdoings will not go un punished forever. Um, right. and, and there's a hope and there's a comfort and there's a, there's a patience in that, that, uh, that tells us what to do with our anger. But Drew, I love the point that you had. I think, um, I think some of us can just be, especially if, you know, and I'll use the word privilege and I know that that's kind of a weighted word, but I think some of us do have the privilege of being able to just tune this out of not thinking about this because it doesn't affect us and it doesn't affect the communities that we live in um and so it's just really easy to ignore it it's really easy because it's overwhelming i was feeling that this morning i was just feeling overwhelmed what do i do what do we do how do we proceed and how long is this going to keep on happening and galatians 6 9 came to mind just don't be don't get tired of doing good Mm. and just keep doing good until God comes back and does the ultimate good. And that's all we can do. Um, We hand it over to the Lord and we trust him, but we do do good to everyone in every situation that we have, whether it's a person in our house or it's a person on our street, or with what means and what uh,
0: influence we have at somebody, you know, on the other side of the country or the world. That's good. I think privilege is the right word. I think it's a privilege to learn about racism and not having experienced it. Mm. We have to learn about it. We have to ask others what's this thing? Racism. I think that's a privilege. So let's try and land the plane here. Um, I'm curious from both
1: of you guys, how have you been praying? How do we pray in a situation like this?
2: Yeah, I think we pray for justice. We pray for God to do what only he can do. Uh, We go to an omniscient, sovereign God, and that should be of great comfort to us. Um, We said, because of this video, there's some things we know. Well, there are going to be some incidences in the future, and we don't know what, exactly what was going on, exactly whose narrative is more correct. Um, but God knows. Uh, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is yes. He'll do right. We can't see it yet. We pray for it to be seen more than we're currently seeing it. And so as we pray, we, we you know, fix our eyes on Christ's return when he will make all things new Um, All injustices will be set aright. Every tear will be wiped away. Mm. Um, So we pray for His coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. For me, I pray for repentance. I pray for
0: repentance in my own heart, for any prejudice or racism that may exist. I pray for corporate repentance in our church against these things, and the church in America and in the world. And then I pray specifically for uh, for churches, for pastors, the churches in Minneapolis that are that are ministering to these hurting brothers and sisters, uh, those who have lost loved ones. So praying for wisdom, praying for uh, patience uh, in, these, in these difficult circumstances.
2: And praying for those with authority, those who have um, the ability to have sway over policy and those sorts of matters. They... Our leaders need our prayers more now than ever. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, that's all the time that we have today. I know this has already gone a little long, but we hope that this has been helpful for you. Uh, I know that it's been helpful for me just to talk through this with you brothers. Um, And and Lord Jesus, come quickly. Help us in this time and, and every time. If you'd like more information or updates about what's going on at DSC, you can go to our website, dscabq.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And Lord willing, we'll have another episode for you next week. Until then, on behalf of Drew Hotch and Ryan Kelly, I'm Chase Jacobs. Let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper.